0: The Voice of Value is supported by Heron Todd-White. Hi, and welcome to The Voice of Value, an API podcast for property industry professionals, where we explore insights, issues, opportunities, and the careers of a range of leaders across our ecosystem. I'm Amelia Hodge, the CEO of the Australian Property Institute. This week, we're speaking to Diana Dambra, the Chair of the API, who is also a non-executive director on a number of boards in Australia, after a career in corporate advisory and M&A with KPMG and other organisations. Welcome, Diana. this morning. It's great to have you with us. Hello, Amelia. Good to be here. To start things off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about your career? Yeah, sure, Amelia.
1: Um, well, actually, my career has probably taken a number of turns terms that I probably hadn't anticipated I guess when one finishes University and we're very eager to all start to work I really didn't know what I wanted to do and I actually started doing a medical degree and then after a couple of years because at that time my sister was starting to be a doctor and she was ahead of me I decided maybe that wasn't what I wanted to do so then I flipped over to a Commerce degree which I then pursued and completed which was which made my parents very happy because I think they were worried that I was going to become a perpetual student and not know what I wanted to do. <laughs> but then again, coming from a, a migrant family and being one of four siblings, there was a very strong work ethic in our family, so I knew that I had to do something useful after that, doing that first degree. And so then I went and did an internship at um, a firm called Cooper's and Lybrand, which is the equivalent of PwC today. And so that was a great experience and then after that I started to specialise and wound up specialising in mergers and acquisitions and corporate advisory. And so really for the last 25 years I've spent um, doing that work at KPMG before I retired and then became a full-time non-executive director. So that's really how I wound up where I am today and in between there's been a lot of courses and a lot of other qualifications that one gets on the way. I really felt that that experience in that mergers and acquisition, especially being in Sydney, it takes you into a whole lot of different industry sectors. And property being the mainstay of a lot of activity in Sydney, I did do a lot of work in the property space, whether it was retail, commercial, industrial, hotels, retirement villages, utilities, infrastructure assets. You know, I've probably seen it um, and dealt with it. So it sort of had this natural inclination when the API role came up. I was interested in that and a couple of other roles that I've taken on, which all have a property bent to them, but almost every business sector needs property in one Mm -hmm. form or another. Really, Mm. it doesn't matter where you are in in this business world today. Property is everywhere.
0: Mm. Mm. And the... uh 90% 90% of the Australian barbecue conversation is oh, about it's property. It's always about property. That's right. Um, in relation to financial management, business valuations, property, the roles that you take on, when, you, when has it been intentional? Has it been an intentional career design? Not really.
1: I think when you then go into the non-executive director world, you really, you know, directorships come up as and when they come up, so you can't plan them to any great extent. But you do have to be a little bit selective about the ones that you do want to take on. And I guess when I see property type issues, I do get quite excited and think, oh, that's right up my alley, I'd love to do that. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I also took on one at City West Housing, which is another property, big property organisation. And... I'm loving that one because that one's just so interesting because we're actually building properties and Mm. developing them and I go on site and put a
0: hard hat on and I really feel like (laughs) I'm building something now, so that's really good. (laughs) What does City West Housing do? Tell us a bit more about that role.
1: Yeah, City West Housing, it's a really interesting place. Um, But if you think about uh, firemen, paramedics, nurses, hospitality workers, all those people who we, somewhat take for granted that are gonna turn up when we want them and be there to service, really find it very difficult to afford accommodation Mm. in Sydney, especially in the areas where those services are, whether it be in the inner city CBD and the more expensive areas of Sydney in the big hotels. So I've never really wondered where they lived or how they got to work, but a lot of them are commuting two or three hours a day to get to those jobs in the city, whether they're doc- nurses, paramedics, cleaners, teachers, whatever. shift work. Oh, yeah. shocking, absolutely, mm. absolutely. the mm. amount of traveling they have to do. So what City West Housing does, it really tries to build affordable housing mainly for key workers, but they're not all key workers. And it's a great initiative and we need more of it. And the City Mm. of Sydney is is very, very supportive of us in helping us being Mm. able to get those sites because land is very expensive in Sydney, especially close to the city, as you know. Mm. So it's really great to be part of an organisation where we're actually building a whole really society and changing the urban face and allowing mm. people to have a sense of belonging and forming a community community yeah. in those areas where they are able to get this affordable housing. And we've just won two awards there for the best medium density housing oh, wow. award. So for the UDIA a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that's a really great outcome for us. And I, I love the place. I think it's a, it's a great mission that we've got. We just need more
0: of this type of housing mm. for all that our workers. That sounds fantastic. Building. It's good to go to work and come out with a smile on your face and really understand the value that you're contributing.
1: Well, it's I think feel good.
0: it is, does, Amelia, mm. it and it's really important that you feel you have mm. that sense of purpose about what mm. you're doing. Mm.
1: Because without that, I, th- I think your jobs wouldn't be terribly interesting.
0: No, I was reading something on the weekend and it was saying we shouldn't use the word not-for-profit anymore. We should use either for-purpose or for-impact. Mm. Mm. And I really liked the for-impact um, suggestion, so well done. Um, So as an experienced chair and non-executive director, what are the sort of challenges that you've seen and what are the issues and opportunities you're seeing uh, on the road ahead for governance and things that the boards and and organisations should be aware of?
1: That's an interesting point, um, Amelia, because I think there is a lot of expectation now on boards from society and communities, particularly, to really demonstrate how they are meeting the expectations of Mm. not just their shareholders or their immediate stakeholders but of communities generally and I think we all have that obligation I think COVID's probably highlighted that when we've all probably taken a little bit closer look at the way we're leading our lives and the value of what Mm. we're doing and where where we're sitting you know morally in, in other areas in our value system so I think it's important on on the boards to understand that the culture of the organisations mm. of whichever they preside and make sure it's a healthy one to make sure that they are delivering as you say and in, providing positive impact out of what we do whether you're a commercial or for purpose you still have to have a fundamental purpose for why you're there to make money is not enough anymore or to make your shareholders rich or to pay dividends that won't cut it mm. the society and the shareholders want more than that they want to know you've got a sustainable business that it will be able there for the long run, that it is protective of the environment and the other governance issues that are paramount at the moment. And they expect transparency from mm. their, the organisations that they're they're touched by. So I think that transparency issue is quite important because that's what builds the trust of the organisation in the brand and the products that they sell or the services they provide. So I think it becomes quite a continuum, that mm. whole piece then, that you really have to embed that in the organisation. And it's not easy and it's not a, a quick process either.
0: No, no. And I mean the younger generation, I know you know, my children are in their 20s, they look to uh, what the organisations are doing and what sustainability initiatives they run and, and all sorts of, they make their buying decisions mm. based on all of these things that the boards oversee in these businesses. So I, I agree, I think those sorts of things are very important on the way forward. So as our API Chair, you've been Chair, you've been on our board um, for five years now. Um, You get less for murder, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Five years now, you would have seen a lot of change uh, across the profession. What are the issues and opportunities you're seeing across our sector uh, for 2022?
1: Um, I think the most important thing, just from a property point generally, is that there's, we've got the immediate issue with our members they're all trying to run businesses, especially the smaller ones, and the impact of issues like affordable insurance so they can keep running their business, keeping their workforce intact when the activity levels are so high at the moment and they're worried about staffing issues. These short-term issues are are important and we need to address them. And of course, then you've got the overlay of COVID and all the restrictions that that has put put on on everyone who's working. But I think we've got to understand too, the long-term impacts and particularly digitisation is going to play a big role in property. And we've already seen that now, but we're going to see, you know, even just in the built form, you're going to have motion sensors, more sophisticated drones, digital twin in construction, engineering, architecture and even in manufacturing, you'll see that everywhere now. And so all that will in turn then promote telecommunications and much more sophistication around that. I think we'll see 5G becoming much, much more important. So that whole area around property in the built form is going to be critical and it'll become very sophisticated and it already is and smart cities, smart buildings. It'll be very important,
0: and the use of robotics will also play a much bigger part Mm. now, I think. And I think also, you know, all of that in that commercial retail sector, if you look at the residential sector, I think there's a whole range of sustainability initiatives as, you know, the climate change agenda becomes more well-known. And I think with our profession, um, education and standards and guidelines and guidance around those sorts of uh, initiatives I think is is critical going forward.
1: Absolutely, and that's our role as the industry body, Mm. to make sure that our members are confident about what they're doing and that the society generally trusts their Mm. approach and that will require us to make sure that we do have some appropriate standards and benchmarks of what is the best practice Mm. for these things.
0: Mm. Yep, I agree 100%. Certainly um, insurance has become uh, quite an issue for some of our members um, and we're looking to a range of initiatives to try to support them uh, and advocate on their behalf uh, around the the insurance challenges in the professional indemnity uh, sector in particular. as a strong female leader, must provide you with great satisfaction to chair the Women in Banking and Finance uh, Board. Can you tell us a little bit about Women in Banking and Finance?
1: Yes, Amelia. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great organisation. Again, that's a full-purpose organisation as well. But what um, the, the reason the organisation came about is really to do with the fact that most women in the finance sector were not progressing past the typical roles around bank tell- tellers and clerical work now you we don't have bank tellers anymore because we have machines instead so those <laughs> jobs have totally gone but even you know before that there was a, there was a tendency for actually there was about 50% if i recall correctly of the of the gender breakdown in finance was 50-50 women and men but all the women were at the bottom end of of the scale. So the idea of Women in Banking and Finance was to work out how can we progress those women to stay in the industry and to take on more of those leadership and managerial roles. Mm. And that's been really interesting because over the last 10 years that has proven to have worked. And that's really what the mission is about Women in Banking and Finance is to provide the opportunity and the education and the means and the tools to allow these women to develop careers and stay in that. Industry a bit much longer than they might have previously. Mm. And so it, it's been a slow process but it is getting there um, and help them achieve those career goals that they want to achieve as senior executives rather than leave the workforce when they sort of had their first
0: child or what. That's a fantastic mm. initiative. And I think the financial services sector is probably ahead of the property sector in that regard in relation to gender diversity. I know there's a range of corporate initiatives like Champions of Change and Women in Property, um, that a lot of, uh, a lot of the um, industry bodies have supported. We, are, we ourselves have had a couple of years of Women in Property uh, events. Um, we have made gains in female participation, but I do think that we've got some way to go. What's your advice to young women, and, and also young men, and it's the same advice, but particularly for young women who want to grow a valuable uh, and successful career in the property profession? I think, Amelia, that
1: just for, it really goes for, for any really profession you want to pursue, whether it's property or anything else. I think as a young person starting out after having perhaps done your, your first degree and not sure where you want to go, I think you've really got to understand what is important to you and what purpose you have in going to a job every day mm. and I think it was Mark Twain who said the two most important days mm. in your life are the day you were born and the day you work out why you were born so oh, I love that a lot of us you know probably go through life and never really think why we're doing what we are doing but I think once you know what your purpose is mm. you can then develop your passion but to, talk, to me like you hear a lot about people say oh just follow your passion but I don't think you know your passion until really you understand why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. And then because you are so engrossed in why you're doing what you're doing, it will become your passion. Mm. Mm. So I think my first point is I think you should try to understand what your purpose is and why you are spending so much time in a work mm. environment because it's a lot of time you're gonna spend there. Mm. So mm. you'd wanna have some, some feeling that you, you like being there Gosh. and you feel you're doing something useful. In the last
0: two years, I think mm. we've spent 20 hours a day at work, haven't we? That's right.
1: So I think that's important. I think the other thing is that, all I find it's in my experience, it's been this way. It's always a constantly learning environment. And if you're not curious, and you don't, not interested in knowing more about what you're doing. I think you will find it hard to advance yourself, and that applies to any mm. any sector. It's not just property; it's mm. everywhere. So I think need be curious, be be out there, ready to learn, and be aware of left field opportunities. Like some people I've seen is quite, and this is quite true. They have a quite a rigid career plan that they think I'm going to do this and in five years, I'm going to do this in three years, I'm going to do that. That's all okay, but be open to left field opportunities because when they come, you must grab them. Mm. And that will be your best learning experience, probably. That's good advice. To go into
0: something that's a little bit different that maybe you hadn't really thought about. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I always um, add to that, put your hand up for everything. Mm. People want some contribution, put your hand up. and Get that experience because that's where you'll learn something different Mm. by doing doing something different. You cannot do it any
1: other way, really.
0: I've certainly found, particularly with the API, our members are very supportive and will always be on the other end of a phone to educate or mentor or solve a problem or provide advice. And I think it's a wonderful ecosystem that we've Mm. got with the API because whenever I've put people together to solve problems, we've always seen the best outcomes. And I think everyone's very good-natured as the purpose of the API in that regard. That's why I love coming to work every day. Um, so now to a little personal question, mm. when I was looking through your bio, I, I loved the, the comment that you have around, I'm driven by understanding the unknown and focus on working with inspired people, uh, that would have driven you, uh, over the last few years would have kept you very sane, uh, that particular philosophy. Can you share with us some of the ways you have remained focused and what you did to ensure both your physical and your mental health in the last couple of years? And other than, you know, the million or so Zoom meetings and board (laughs) meetings you've participated in, what are some of the things that you um, can share with us? Mm, Thank you, Amelia. Yeah,
1: now that's that's been really interesting, that, because all of a sudden we all had to change our normal routines um, and it was forced upon us. So, I mean, I've been a quite active sports person through my through most of my life at school and after school and while I was at uni. And so I have always been quite active, but then a lot of that activity that I was doing and going to the gym and yoga classes, all that stopped and Pilates classes. So I then went on a walking marathon every day, which morning and night, and fortunately my husband was also very active as well. We had this routine where we'd get up and we'd do an hour's walking before we both start work at home. And then we do another one at six o'clock at night. So we wore out a few pairs of shoes in, in that time, <laughs> as you can imagine. And um, so it's, that was one big change that we did and we're still doing it today. So that was good. Um, and the other thing I found, you can listen to podcast. I listen to more podcasts than I did normally. And a lot of that was done when I was walking, but I found walking without listening to anything was also very good for your mental health, just to take in and to be able to think outside mm. your normal Routine really present at home, which at that time when you're at home in front of a Zoom, in front of a computer in, a, in your whatever room, an office or a small office, it can get a, a bit sort of claustrophobic in terms of where your mind sits because you don't think anything outside that, that small space. So I found going for walks without any noise or without any talking was quite therapeutic as well. So I I do recommend that and just having a chance to think, just to digest from the day or from the few days before that, what's happened. And I found that's when you get your best inspiration actually. It's when you're out of your normal Mm. zone of working.
0: Out in the fresh air. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us today, Diana. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thanks for listening all to the API podcast, The Voice of Value. And today we shared our time with Diana Downborough, who's the chair of the API and a non-executive director on a number of boards. Please join us again for future episodes. You can find these on our website. Thank you. The Voice of Value is supported
1: by Heron Todd White.